Baseball Talk is brought to you by Joy for Sports, 435 Durham Street East in Walkerton, for all your sports needs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are in a very sunny but way too dry Hanover, Ontario, <laughs> bringing you our second episode of Baseball Talk for our second season. We have Steve Fitzsimmons over here, Andy Clark. We have our man Adam Oliveira running things capably in the booth. And we have a guest host today here, our California correspondent, Care uh, Clark. Uh, welcome to the show, Care. Hi, little brother. Uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Nepotism in action. Yeah, he's yeah, my absolutely. big brother there. Here to talk sports. Well, we should uh, thank him very much. Of course, uh, he helped us uh, line up the interview last year with uh, former Major League Baseball player Joe Borchard. So thank you for that. And uh, that's part of why I'm here. He loved it so much. I, I wanted to see what this was about. I've been watching the show online and... Uh, and his feedback, he just he really enjoyed his time with you guys. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you said uh, when you caught up with him after he'd been on the show, uh, he had been uh, visiting with a fairly well-known baseball player in his own right there, yeah? I, uh, yeah, he just happened to name drop. Uh, Tim Tebow had been by uh, to do some bat batting practice. They have uh, the uh, coach that uh, he used to use uh, out of Stanford. Uh, there's the connection there. So could you imagine doing BP with Tim Tebow? Incredible. Yeah, and Maybe uh, play a bit of football afterwards, too. Yeah, Throw the ball around. Yeah, 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 two quarterbacks. Because they both were uh, starting quarterbacks well, in NCAA. I was thinking, yeah. yeah, so that would be uh, kind of cool. Yeah, let's drop the baseball bats and uh, throw the football. Um, Tebow, having said, not to spend too much time on old Tim there, but actually playing pretty well in Double A right now. Yeah, he's really uh, had a bit of a resurgence here, and uh, his batting average is up, and uh, his home runs and RBIs are up. So, you know, maybe he's not a completely dead prospect yet. Absolutely, especially because the Mets organization stinks so much right now. There may be room for a September yeah, call-up. There could be to, a path there. Yeah, you know he's going to sell tickets, and if they're, if they're really stinking it out, at least to get a cup of coffee there. I, I would like to see him, if they're going to do that, for legi legitimacy's sake, they should have, you know, park him in AAA for a while anyways. But it's good to see he's doing well in AA right now. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, last year, I think a lot of people had doubts as to how, how he was going to progress because he really, you know, wasn't really doing great. I think he hit, what, 228 or something. And, you know, the numbers really, he was, he was connecting the odd time, but it was sort of flashes. But we have to remember, I mean, he hasn't played baseball for okay. a lot of years. Absolutely. He's been focused on football. He's a tremendous athlete. We know that. So, you know, he's kind of the Bo Jackson thing, but um, he looks like he's finally, you know, finding his groove. And uh, yeah, I think he has a legitimate shot to play in the major leagues eventually, if not uh, maybe as a call-up. To, to, to be a, at least a semi-regular. I, I can't see him being a star at the Probably MLB. a utility but, player, maybe. Eh? But as a utility player, I, I think it's uh, not out of the question at this point. Um, other notes we should talk about here. Uh, we have another show with a similar name there. Oh, yes, that hockey show, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we had Washington Capitals equipment manager uh, Brock Miles on uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, one of our wrap-up shows for season three of Hockey Talk. And uh, he contacted me uh, just recently, and I know there's a screen graphic for Adam that he can get up there. But uh, for our radio listeners, uh, the big news is the Stanley Cup is coming to Chesley because uh, him being part of that franchise winning the Cup, he has the rights to have it for a day. And he's chosen his hometown of Chesley on Friday, August 3rd. It's going to be there from uh, 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. I know he's doing some family functions, uh, understandably, uh, right. at some family places nearby uh, outside of those hours. 
It says here the first 500 fans will receive a limited edition Washington Capitals Stanley Cup keepsake photo, courtesy of Packmark Limited, and an official Stanley Cup champion souvenir puck. And uh, they're taking donations here for uh, a couple really worthwhile causes there. Uh, they're mentioning uh, Chesley Minor Sports and also uh, Mental Health uh, ser Services in Grey Bruce. And they were giving a nod there, uh, especially to Justin Hammond, who was from Chesley, a young uh, goaltender in his young 20s that uh, took his life a few years ago. So uh, good on Brock Miles. Thanks for sharing that with us. I promised him we would promo it, even though we're baseball talk. That's okay. But uh, fantastic cause. You know, you have a day with it, and you're you're bringing you know bring funds out for that that sort of thing. That's great stuff. So, while we're talking a little hockey, why don't we talk a little bit about a guest we had last year on Baseball Talk, Ron Pegg, and Ron has a great book, and uh, it is uh, the uh, biography of Chris Neal, and uh, I mean it's a, it's a great read. It is, yeah. I uh, was reaching out to uh, another friend of ours, Jonathan Jackson, who did a lot of sports writing out of Owen Sound who's now centered uh, out of Guelph. And uh, I noticed Chapter 15 was based around one of his articles. And a uh, lot of really good local content. For our, uh, viewers and listeners, uh, Ron Pegg's family was very, very close with the Neal family growing up. So uh, he had a lot of insights. He basically saw Chris Neal growing up and is able to sort of tell the story um, right from being best friends with his daughter from a very young age all the way through to uh, till now, where he's uh, doing some consulting work for the... Ottawa, or not consulting work, alumni work with the uh, Ottawa Senators. So interesting character, and uh, it's a worthwhile read. I know you can get them in the Fleshman Library. Uh, there's a Christian bookstore in Owen Sound, or you can get them through Amazon online. And probably on Ron Pegg's website as well, if you search Ron Pegg. Yes, and since we're baseball talk, he has written some baseball books also. And we did talk to him about those last year. And, of yeah. course, just the amount of... Uh, uh, organization that he's been involved with with minor baseball across not only this province but actually the country as well. It was a great chat we had with him last year. Yeah, and he mentioned uh, his son Rob is a uh, head coach at Vanguard University out in California, and uh, played against Rob uh, back in my day. Um, and then his father coached, and uh, they you know fantastic uh, yeah. baseball players. Uh, the well coached the whole bit, so it's amazing to see. You know, he's uh, been on the show and. Uh, develop on there yeah i think i told that story where uh the mom kathy peg um was also a baseball coach and uh you know i kind of peaked baseball wise probably when i was 12 but uh <laughs> I, I used to hit the long ball quite a bit and uh I, that's my memory of kathy peg lovely woman but back then uh, the kids had a habit of flipping off the helmets as we were running the bases we felt it made us you know faster kind of cooler yeah. or maybe we had the bryce harper mentality and just <laughs> wanted the hair flowing and stuff but uh yeah i happened to i remember at a game in hanover she was coaching the fleshman team and i i got a hold of one pretty good and as i was rounding second i flipped off the helmet and apparently there was a rule on the books that oh, really? you're supposed to keep the helmet on. So she was, yeah, she was all over that young umpire to should be out. That I should be out. That the <laughs> the home run should have been. That we would have had a George Brett situation on our hands, right? <laughs> Instead of the pine tar, the, yeah, really. the helmet flip or something. So nice. Uh, so we've covered some of those short notes we wanted to, but uh, last night was the All Star game. There's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, there is, and uh, you know. Uh, 
let's start with the fact. I mean, it was a wild game, and obviously there was a ton of home runs, and we can. Did they just combine the home run derby and the, the game together? <laughs> was, Good lord! Yeah, it looked like a, a lot of uh, sort of batting practice pitchers out there last night. Yeah. At least the hitters certainly made them look like. And you know, it was nice to see all the big stars: Trout, Judge, Bryce Harper, uh, Votto, um, being part of that uh, home run derby. But uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that kind of struck me is. That game decides who gets Game 7 of the World Series for home home uh, field advantage. And I just don't really think that's right. I really wish there was a better solution to that because I, I just I just felt that it didn't feel right. Yeah, well, you know, the history of that is uh, the All-Star game was, you know, just not particularly well played. They would go through the motions and this was a way of making it more competitive. But you're absolutely right. Is this, you know, an outcome where, you know, it's a big, big deal uh, in the end. But, uh, uh, you know, you look back at the All-Star game, the Pete Rose days, right, you know, uh, running through the catcher. It's interesting what the motives are for these players, you know, the kind of money that they're making, uh, especially, you know, uh, yesterday, we were talking about this earlier, we see a home run derby during the game. And what's going on there? Why are we seeing that kind of... Uh, yeah, like... There was 10 home runs in last night's All-Star game, and the previous most uh, was six. So it blew that out of the water. Mm -hmm. So what is going on? It's a really interesting question, what's going on. But, uh, you know, I think certainly with some of the pitchers, I think, uh, you know, they realize that they're going to pitch very soon for their own team. And I think they're taking things off a little bit. You know, are they giving it, I don't want to say 100%, because are they just not, you know, if they usually pitch 95 miles an hour, with you know oomph are they pitching like 90 miles an hour with not as much oomph you know as this showcase it's hard to say i mean and i think i think it's kind of a it's something where um the pitcher maybe doesn't even realize they're doing it but it's just not as meaningful a game as playing for your your own team right and and i think you can't kind of envision ahead to that i my team's going to be in the world series and and you really have that sort of edge or fire because obviously there's tons of people in that game that know they're not going to the world series because their team is way out of it so for them there's not a lot of edge there for that Correct. Uh, representing a league versus your team, two right. different things. Absolutely. How much do you think uh, there's been a lot of talk about juiced baseballs the last two years? How much do you think that's a factor? Hard to say. I mean, uh, well, it, it certainly could be a factor. I know there's obviously the pitchers, some of them have voiced their displeasure at what the baseballs are like right now, and they feel it's an issue. But... Um, there's I mean, kind, of, kind of an argument that some players that traditionally through their careers haven't been lights out power hitters have become power hitters. Uh, one name that was thrown out that way was Justin Smoke. I'm a big fan of his, so I, I want people. You to know what? I wonder it, if it, I think more with Justin Smoke, it was a lack of quality opportunity, and so he had that last year, maybe for the first time of of not being a platoon player, where he basically batted his way into not being a platoon player anymore with injuries and various things with the Jays. And um, so I don't think it's as much that for in his case, but you could be right about that in other people's case. But, you know, Smoke has always shown a penchant for hitting home runs. Makes good contact. He does, yeah. and, and he can hit the ball a long way. So I think in his case, it's maybe the wrong person to, to kind of uh, use as the example of why this is happening. Um, because I think in his case, it's just more opportunity. But you look, I mean, look, compare Aaron Judge last year. I mean, he had 52 home runs, 114 runs batted in. Right now, 
25 home runs, 60 RBIs. We're obviously past the halfway point. So he's not going to touch those numbers from last year. And, I mean, we know, you know, he's a heck of a player. But, uh, you know, it's not really playing out that it's uh, he's going to improve on his numbers from last year. Yeah. And for every argument, there is the counter argument. And off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the Orioles' Chris Davies, who, you know, a number of years ago was hitting 52 dingers and stuff. And right now he's only hitting about 160 with, like, zero power. So if there is a juiced baseball, it's not doing much for Chris Davies. Mm. I, I'd say now to bring another uh, factor into it, um, when I was just looking over the notes of the All-Star game, I came across uh, young Jordan Hicks, uh, who I don't think played in the All-Star game. He's a rookie. He's only had about you know 40 appearances as a reliever uh st louis uh pitcher but what piqued my interest interest was this 21 year old is apparently over throwing a pitch um over 105 miles per hour wow they're saying him is and Araldis, possible him and Araldis chapman are the only two that have done it Araldis has done it a few times right. they've been clocked so 105.1 in a major league game so this is a 21 year old from houston and he averages on a sinker his sinker is averaging 100 miles an hour this Good season. Lord. Yeah. So can we say Tommy John in a couple of years? Yeah. Because how uh, long does it I last? I just don't think the ligaments can sustain that kind of pressure. So here was what was where I was going with that is when I was like, wow, who is this Jordan Hicks kid? And uh, I started looking it up. And the amount of stats that are available for any picture. So they started getting it down into a hyper detailed breakdown of the strike zone from the catcher's perspective of what the batting average is in these tiny quadrants. And, you know, I was starting to, you know, I'm a couch potato. I don't, I haven't picked up a baseball bat other than for my kids in the backyard in the last few years. And I was already starting to formulate a game plan on how I would try and hit this guy. Like, I'd be laying off the high inside. I'd be laying off the... And so the amount of information available to batters out there, I think, is maybe giving them a bit of an advantage over pitchers right now, too. Yeah, you could well be right about that. It's uh, it's interesting speculation. You know, the other thing about the game last night that struck me is, um, you know, Mike Trout. I mean, he's just a heck of a ball player. He might be the best player in the game, but uh, he's somewhat overshadowed, I think. And, and Kara, I mean, you live in that area. Um, he's he's overshadowed. His personality isn't such that, it's you know, big. he seeks the limelight. He's just a heck of a player. But I think he's kind of a quiet guy that doesn't really want to sort of be in that spotlight and thrive on the interviews and all that part of it. But at the end of the day, I mean, this guy is, is a the different best player. generation, right? He uh, he really doesn't uh, seem to be uh, a bigger sort of marketing uh, product, right, uh, that you would expect with somebody who plays that well. Um, but he's content. He's, uh, by all accounts, uh, a fantastic uh teammate uh they love him down there they really do local but he's not national uh, is right. really the in the end but fantastic to watch so as far as advertising um you live in the los angeles area thousand oaks how much do you see him on billboards or in local ads radio uh, tv the dodgers the, they really dodgers are dominating them. that market right now they really are and maybe you know from a major league baseball perspective you know they they might like to have a different sort of personality and somewhere a little more outgoing with uh, the media stuff uh, and maybe in a different more focused uh, media market um, as you say they get overshadowed in their own market but I mean Major League Baseball does have Aaron Judge at least in a in a high profile market he's kind of a high profile guy I think too as well so you know is he as good a player as as Mike Trout, I don't think he's quite as good a player. He's, Mike Trout is a five-tool player, let's right. be honest with you. Aaron Judge maybe is a four-tool tool player. But um, 
Aaron maybe will take some of that sort of spotlight and heat um, to promote Major League Baseball more than maybe Trout does, except sort of regionally. Correct. Trout uh, has the uh, the track record so far. Aaron Judge, it's in front of him, so we'll, yeah. we'll see how that all uh, plays out. Uh, Speaking of you know limelight and stuff like that, I did catch just the last few rounds of the home run contest, and Bryce Harper, uh, two things. He did put on a show for the hometown fans. Yep. And he sure loves the limelight. <laughs> the question is, is he going to hit any good in the next 30 days His after doing that? Yeah. Where is Trout well? Part, part of the tension, I don't know if you caught the, the home run derby, but when it got to the final, um, I was like saying to myself, you know, this guy with the big black beard that was his, uh, you know, pitching for him, he missed a ton of pitches. I don't know if you saw that, where a ton outside, he was overcracking and throwing some outside the strike zone. Right. And he was, he was trying to, Bryce likes them on the inside half of the plate, but he's getting too far inside. Right. And I like now that instead of doing the 10 outs, they have it on a timer. Right. So it actually was getting pretty tense there because <laughs> his dad, like, matzo balled. It, and so that was the striker. It was his dad. It was, was his, his dad, was, was it? was the pitcher, yeah. But so then towards the end, uh, he ended up hitting nine in a row to finish out as time was coming down. And they have this thing that if they can hit two or more over 440 feet, they get a bonus 30 seconds. Oh, okay. And that kind of builds the tension. So he hit the nine in a row, and then he had his 30 seconds after that where he had to hit one, and he did put it out, and uh, the hometown fans loved it. But, yeah, yeah I do they, like uh, they changed the format. That's the thing is the All-Star Game is an exhibition, and this goes back to your original. It's supposed to be fun. It's a yeah. showcase for fans. It's fun an enjoyable thing. Like, you don't want it to affect your game moving forward. With, exactly. You know, yeah. being, and, and, I mean, there's been lots of suggestions by players that have gone into a funk after the All-Star game and after, the, in particular, the, the home run hitting contest. But, you know, this is supposed to be fun for fans, and it is, yeah. I think, it, largely. I read, read a great article about the home run contest. It was a Washington Post uh, reporter had gone out to figure out where, where to go with the best setup. The nine in a row became problematic because the fans are watching one coming in with another in behind it. It was a, fast, yeah. yeah, it was a situation where people would dodge and you know left and right at a certain point. Yeah, and that's where they have that rule now where the uh, previous one has to land before the pitcher's allowed to release the next one to the home plate. And you're speaking about uh, funks after the All Star, and you were also mentioning Aaron Judge. Remember last year? Last he, year he, he cratered. He was setting records for strikeouts uh, yeah. in, in the month or so after the All-Star. Do you know what? So. Speaking of that, I mean, Aaron Judge last year, 208 strikeouts he had. He has 132 right now. He's not going to be very far off of that either. For some for some players, though, does it matter? Like, Bo Jackson led the league in strikeouts for several years in a row, and no one seemed to care as long as he could still Well, and I mean, he, he's hitting well. 276 right now. He had 284 last year. I guess when you make contact, as long as you make it count, uh, that's all that matters, really. Him and uh, Giancarlo, yeah, putting on a show there. Absolutely. Nice to see Jay Happ get into the game and, and save the, the game for the, for the uh, American League. And uh, it might be one of the last appearances we see of Jay Happ in the American League. He could, you know, there's certainly a lot of talk about him getting traded somewhere in the National League, but we'll see where it goes. And, uh, I mean, later in the show, I know we're going to talk a little Blue Jays, but uh, good for Jay Happ. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm still trying to make up my mind whether I think they should move him or not because he is their best starting pitcher by far. So many of them are underperforming. And, uh, yeah. He's certainly I, getting the most out of his ability and good for him for that. He is a valuable asset. I guess it all comes down to what would be the potential return. I guess that's what I'd have to be looking at. So, Well, and, I mean, the return, I mean, it has to be huge. Um, I think it has to be 
a legitimate um, prospect that's maybe a tier below, you know, Bo Bichette and and those guys, but uh, and Guerrero. But uh, it has to be a legitimate future uh, Major League Baseball player, I think, that's not very far away. It probably is a Major League Baseball player that's playing now that isn't uh, maybe you know, top tier or anything, but a useful piece to a team. Solid piece. And maybe something else. I think it's, that's the kind of combo that I'd be looking for if I'm the Jays. If if it was future prospects, because the Blue Jays have a pretty stocked shelf right now as far as prospects, I would only take it on the terms of if it was a pitcher because they need pitching so badly. You can never have enough pitching. You can never have enough pitching. So that's the only prospect I'd take for J-Hap. And then otherwise, I'd, I'd like to see some immediate help. This season's probably, you know, written off as far as how far back they are, but for looking forward to next season. Um, well, yeah. you know, I, th- I look at it as a similar type of situation to R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard type of thing. You know, there's a, you could, there's a comparable to be made there in the terms of the quality of a, a great starting pitcher right now. And, of course, you know, we know that he had come off a Cy Young Award at that time for the Mets. And, uh, you know, Jay Happ isn't necessarily there for the Jays, but I think, you know, he's got some years left in him and uh, Dickey was much older as we know. And, you know, I think somewhere just a tier below that situation is, is really what the Jays have to be after in this situation. Looking for, yeah. Um, another one that's, uh, should they trade him? Well, I think at this point, most people are think they should trade them is uh, Donaldson. And last week I was talking He's about- worth nothing though. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, he has so little market value. At they might point. be smarter to, you know, go to Donaldson and say, look, why don't we do a two-year deal for $17 bucks a year? It's less than what you, you were probably thinking, but or a one-year deal to reestablish your value. And if we're nowhere next year, we'll make a trade and uh, get you to, to, to somewhere and we'll get some assets for you. Because I don't think it's a win for anyone here. He is not going to get the kind of contract that we, just a, sh- a short year and a half ago, probably were thinking 25 to $30 million for him. I mean, what is he going to get right now? He's, he he's done nothing for a couple of years, largely due to injury. We know that. But at the end of the day, I think he has to reestablish that market value. People, there's going to be a team that's going to gamble on him, but not at $30 million. Okay, Yeah, and speaking of uh, the injury and stuff, I, I was a little outspoken about him last week. I, I was right. a big fan of how he plays the game, but I saw an interview three or four weeks ago where he said he was 100% with everything. Um, it's his calf that's injured. And he said, except for a little bit of discomfort on the base pass, he was going to sit out another week or two until he was 100% on the base so pass. where is he? So, yeah, this is four weeks later, and his little bit of discomfort has him out now for, I can't even tell you how long he's been out. And, you know, and it's unfair sometimes to compare cultures, you know, hockey and baseball. Mm-hmm. But in this book, that was one Chris of those Neal, things yeah. that came up. Chris Neal, he thought he had an abscessed tooth, and uh, he had played with it for a few games, and it was getting more and more painful. So he actually went in and had it looked at, and the dentist is like, you have a fractured jaw. And <laughs> so, so we put on a mask and he kept playing. You know, fractured jaw, misses zero games. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> slight, slight calf discomfort on the base pass. You're missing like a month. The Come thing on, with Donaldson, Donaldson, though, I mean, he's costing himself a ton of money, you know? And I, I get it. If You don't want to play if you're not right. But if you're really close to 100%, I think it behooves you to help your team, but also, like, when your market value is in the toilet like his is right now, I mean, he needs to get on the field and, and show a little bit of something. All right, I think we should take our uh, first recess, and then we'll come on back with... Uh, we have two Clark guys today's ladies. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll come back with the first of our Clark guys. And we have two Clarks, so there you go. Two Clarks, two Clark guys. 
Baseball Talk is brought to you by Joy for Sports, 435 Durham Street East in Walkerton, for all your sports needs. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, to Baseball Talk on Blue Water Radio, uh, 91.3 FM, and on Whiteman TV. You can catch us Friday nights at 8 o'clock, right after uh, the horse racing on Channel 6, Whiteman Channel 6. And uh, we're going to tee up our first uh, Clark Ives here. Uh, regular listeners to the show will know I like to deep in, uh, dig deep into uh, old newspaper reports of uh, interesting uh, baseball events of days gone by, sometimes local, sometimes major league. And this one's a major league one. Our TV viewers are seeing the headline right now, uh, Seagull versus the Yanks, the sequel, Bronx Bombers wear white hats. And uh, this is from the Toronto Star of uh, August 3rd, 1988. And it was an article written by Alan Ryan. And I think a lot of people listening to this right away already, uh, when we say Seagull and Yanks. Dave Winfield? <laughs> yeah, Dave Winfield yeah. right away. And uh, Exhibition Stadium for our younger listeners and viewers. David Winfield, when he was with the Yankees uh, during a warm-up on a lark, uh, the old Exhibition Stadium down on the lakeshore used to be just teeming with Seagulls. And one was sitting on the field. And apparently, he sort of said for a lark, there was one that was quite a distance away. I forget how far, but quite a distance and he sort of said to one of his buddies hey do you think i could hit that and sure <laughs> and enough he, he did, did. He threw and, a ball and hit him. yeah and he killed the seagull it was quite a controversy at the time so what this is is this actually was a toronto star article from almost five uh, five years to the week uh from when the infamous david winfield incident happened uh in this case is when the the yankees came out to warm up there was an injured seagull already there it was kind of <laughs> flopping around a little bit getting their attention and they figured it must have had a broken wing because they tried to shoo it away and it just uh wasn't getting lift off it wasn't getting off the ground and of course they started panicking a little bit about oh god here we go again <laughs> are people gonna think we oh, did this right. but uh, apparently uh there was a security guard vouched for them saying, no, that bird was there before the Yankees got out there. And uh, I, I even tried to chase it off myself and it didn't work. So uh, the the revenge part came in because uh, Ron Guidry, a uh, pretty good pitcher for the Yankees at the time, he apparently uh, took some pity on it and he tried to lift it off the field. And as he was carrying it off, apparently he took a pretty good uh, nip from the seagull. <laughs> really? Yeah. Bitten by a beach chicken. <laughs> yeah, beach chicken, yeah. So uh, he did manage to, uh, Rich Dodson did say after he got bitten, he uh, revised his tactics and held the beak closed, and uh, they took it off to the football field. And after that point, no one knew what happened to that seagull. But uh, ba Baseball's got a thing with birds. They really do. Yeah, you know? because uh, we, were we were talking about this before, the famous Randy Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Well, Randy won in that case. Yeah, yeah. and for uh, <laughs> for our audience who maybe aren't privy, I, I can't remember who Randy was pitching for. Maybe it was Arizona at the time. Yeah, I think so. But it's one of those unbelievable things that it's lets you know moment. it's one of those yeah. mathematical oddities that what can happen will eventually because uh, randy johnson who could throw about 100 miles an hour a uh, huge man too six foot eleven yeah a huge specimen but uh, as randy johnson released a pitch a bird swooped between the mound and home plate and his pitch obliterated this uh, i think destroyed. it was a seagull yeah. destroyed it you Feathers just everywhere you see a blur of a bird come in and his fastball caught this bird uh, on its flight between the plate and uh, 
the mound and it just got obliterated. You, you can be Googling it if you want. Uh, maybe Adam, I don't know if Adam, he's pretty good for putting up clips for us. I, w- I wonder I mean, if the ball made the plate. I, I probably didn't even affect it's a uh, rotation into the plate. Gosh. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. You know, I was, I was saying before uh, when I was looking up the Jordan Jordan Hicks uh, stats and stuff like that. What you're saying there about rotation just jogged my mind. They even had the stats down to average rotations. Wow. Of, of pitches and stuff like that. I'm like, how are they tracking the telemetrics of how often a pitch is spinning between? It's unbelievable what kind of information. Yeah, they have it's amazing there. the analytics that are available today. Yeah. You know the. Uh, Speaking of uh, you know coming off the All Star break and all of the uh, the things that have went on with that, I mean, I thought it was very interesting what Rob Manfred, the uh, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, had said. Um, they asked him a question about the exp- about expansion, and you know he said basically they want 32 teams between the two leagues, and of course they have 31 right now, and mentioned specifically uh, six seven, six or seven different markets, including Montreal, Canada, Mexico. Uh, Vegas, which has become uh, the hot spot now yeah. for every yeah. uh, major league. Uh, Golden um, Knights. Yeah, the Golden Knights and the NFL is already going there as well. So why not major league baseball as well? Uh, Portland, Nashville, and Charlotte. And, uh, let's bring our producer Adam Olivero in on this conversation. And Adam, I mean, um, it makes sense just from a mathematical point of view to have maybe 16 and 16 for, for American League and National League. But, uh, I mean, do you see... I mean, the, the, he mentioned specifically Montreal, but he also said there could be another market in Canada. You would have to assume it was maybe Vancouver when you kind of analyze what markets it would be. But uh, do you think, uh, I mean, would they go back to Montreal? I think they probably would. I mean, Montreal had a, a really good team there, and uh, there was a fan base there. Uh, I mean, they probably would prefer to have a hockey team before a baseball team. But <laughs> <laughs> or in, Sure, I should say Quebec City. Um, right. But uh, Vancouver... That one makes sense too. Uh, you know, you always have a, a nice mild climate there year round. Baseball would be lovely in, in Vancouver for a major league baseball team. Uh, as far as I understand, they already have some double uh, A AA and triple A in Vancouver, possibly. Yes, they have a triple A, triple yeah, A team. Yeah. If I can back up for one sec, that ball did not cross home plate when ah. Randy hit the bird. <laughs> I wouldn't think <laughs> it would get been, that far. No, yeah. it it, uh, it petered off and went through the first the uh, so, box towards uh, first base. So my question is, does that actually? count as a pitch <laughs> with, if with anything it counts as a ball <laughs> yeah it yeah. certainly was a ball i guess at the end of the day care i mean when you i know you were in vegas uh, for for hockey in the playoffs against san jose and i i was in vegas of course for the edmonton oilers back in february i mean that city has really taken on a, a, a certain a life of its own with supporting you know obviously their first major league franchise in the vegas golden knights but you know, I know what I saw when I was there was uh, te- teams, f- fans from out of town made it a trip to go to Vegas. And so you had half of the fans were Vegasites and the other half were, you know, that specific team. They thought, you know, we're going to go to Vegas for three days. We'll catch the game and have, make a trip of it. And I, I really think that Vegas is set up really nicely to have a bunch of teams. They, they absolutely are because there is the base. There's the local, uh, you know, the people that live there. And in the case of, of this team, they've embraced it uh you know being there the people around me were season ticket holders predominantly but you're absolutely right uh, people are going to make that trip the oilers are in town they're going to fly in and see you know their team um so they've got the best of both worlds there right they've got that you know base that's there that's going to be there day to day but uh the others are going to come into town uh and just what a product you know in the first year obviously they were, on the they were lucky on that 
you know, you know, they put oh. a lot of work into it, but, it, oh, you know, draft, lucky for the market the in your first year to have that absolutely. good of a team, you know? No, absolutely. So, yeah, it, it, this could have played out quite differently had that team, you know, languished at the, the bottom of the league. But, you know, the team performed and the product there, the, the show that they put on is, is absolutely amazing. And uh, they really just getting into the Stanley Cup, the exposure that they've had, that's now even even more so a destination. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Major League Baseball is seeing that and thinking, wow. we got to get in on this. Absolutely. And so the conversation as well regarding uh, expansion and Vegas in particular was, you know, is it time for Major League Baseball? Aside from Vegas, they, they bet on baseball in Vegas. But really nowhere else they bet on, on baseball. It's not allowed by Major League Baseball. And I mean, Andy, I mean, I think they're living in the dark ages a little bit on not trying to tap into that revenue stream of having uh, baseball being bet on outside of the Vegas outside situation. Of that. And I can't speak to the legalities, but I remember hearing something about six, seven weeks ago where there had been uh, federal um, legislation passed um, in the states that was opening up sports betting uh, well, it's all time. across in all 50 states. So I can't speak to the specifics of that, but uh, I think there is going to be just a increasing wave of it they're going to find a way to tax it probably then too absolutely and that's where that's where they get in on it it's yeah but uh, baseball's just got that history the the black Sox, uh, pete rose you know again um so uh, it'll it'll take time i think but you know money talks in the end it uh, it certainly does talk and and adam i mean with the with the betting thing uh we we've seen uh it go you know go well with the national hockey league getting in on that and and the NBA, but but really the the success story of betting is football. I mean the NFL people bet on the NFL. It's a happening on Sundays because of betting on the NFL. I mean yeah, there's tailgate parties and people cheer for their teams, etc. But everybody does a football pool and everybody bets on football, and it has actually driven the NFL to be more successful of a league than any of the other sports. And uh, so. I, it's surprising to me, Adam, that other other leagues really haven't sort of uh, watched that blueprint and followed it more. Absolutely. And, I mean, in football, they're, they're betting on everything. You're not betting on who wins or who loses. The You're betting toss. on, like, the coin toss. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to make a first down in the second quarter with two minutes left? Like, there's all kinds of... and. If you're betting that way in football, I mean, look how many stats you guys just talked about in baseball. You could do all kinds of crazy bets. Is J.A. Happ going to throw a strike on the third? Like, there's a lot of room there to grow for the betting. Um, And, you know, we've seen things in Canada, too, with the pro line uh, and all kinds of things like that come around, legal ways of betting. So I could see it really stepping up, especially if you get a major league team in Vegas, that that could uh, come to fruition. We could get a lot more of a, a betting mindset in uh, in the gambling world with baseball. Well, just, you know, look at a, a typical season as well, right? The NFL, it's much shorter. So sure. just think of, you know, the opportunities there. Yeah, 18 so. games versus, uh, you know, 162 yeah. plus playoffs, right? It's coming. It's just a matter of matter of when. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays yeah, it's out. it's going to evolve, I, interestingly. There, there my, is a, my vote's for Vegas. There is a particular synergy, though, between football and betting that maybe somewhat applies to baseball, but I certainly don't think reaches into hockey. And that's the fact that NFL football, it has the 40-second play clock. It has four downs. 
there's a huge amount of downtime, right? Sure. So when you're sitting there with your buddies couch jockeying, you need something to kind of fill the time a little bit. Yeah, like, look, let's look around the league, see all the scores, and see how yeah. I'm doing in all my bets. It's not like the CFL with a 20-second play clock right. where they're getting back at it, they're getting back at it, and there's like 20 more plays a game on average. Um, but I think that's part of that synergy. Now, baseball does have a fairly slow pace, and traditionally betting amongst fans was a huge part of baseball culture in its early history. Mm-hmm. So I can see that. that. With hockey, it's a little more continuous action, so there's not as right. much time. But um, And Adam was referencing Proline, but you know, those of you that have been around long enough, that actually held up Toronto getting an NBA franchise. It did. Because they had draconian anti-gambling laws because organized crime had been infiltrating uh, college basketball particularly, but also NBA basketball. And with five players on a team, a player can influence the outcome of the game quite a bit. And that's where they're getting a lot of players uh, on the behalf of illegal betting or shaving points or you know whatever. And uh, that's why they brought in draconian anti-gambling laws. And that's what held up because Ontario had pro-line. That there, for a while, it was up in the air whether or not Toronto could get a franchise. Now they hold their board of governors meetings in Vegas every I know. year, right? So yeah, summer league, yeah. I guess it's just the difference in, in you know t- over time things become more normalized and you know uh, I think that they're also getting hurt by the offshore betting. Of course, they're not getting any piece Online, of the pie for their own yeah. product. So at least this way, when they control the narrative and and actually have a piece of the pie, it's a different story. And uh, mm-hmm. you know why should they let you know the offshore uh, sports books make all the money they may as well get in on the game too it's already happening well the other fears you know they had about nhl teams going into vegas and uh you know having a having yeah, yeah coming well, out of it, it, it what it, they used to do when they used to you know have a layover for los angeles kings games that end up in vegas anyways right yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely you know guys uh, the jays i mean they're in an interesting position 43 and 52 they're sitting fourth in the AL East and 23 and a half games out. I mean, it's hard to believe that, uh, I mean, Boston 68 and 30. I didn't, I didn't really see that coming in terms of just that, how dominant they've been. But uh, then you look at the Atlanta Braves, who were basically the worst team in Major League Baseball, not more than last year and the year before. They're 10 games over 500, only a half game back in the NL East. And they got a guy named Alex Anthopoulos, who we know well, as the former GM of the Toronto Blue Jays, doing pretty good in his first season with the Atlanta Braves. Certainly, uh, I, I think a lot of people are uh, looking at him with a lot of respect because, you know, after a little bit of a blip there, the Jays haven't really done all that great the last couple. They've of years. done nothing. Yeah, nothing whatsoever. Uh, I'm gonna say let's take our second recess and then we'll come on back with our second Clark Ives and then uh, wrap it on up with uh, some more baseball talk from there. Baseball Talk is brought to you by Joy for Sports, 435 Durham Street East in Walkerton, for all your sports needs. We're back with Baseball Talk, ladies and gentlemen, and as promised, since there's two clerks on the show tonight, we're going to have two clerk guys. And uh, the first one was from the Toronto Star, and the next one's coming from a little closer to home. Uh, sweet little Hanover Post piece here from, uh, let's see here, it was uh, July oh, July 24th, I believe, of 1988. I didn't write my notes down clear enough there, apparently. Uh, but the headline that you're seeing on the TV screen is um, 209 wins, 32 losses since Tyke. Midget's unity is the secret to success. 
And uh, this was written by Mike Turner, who was a reporter for the Hanover Post for a long time. And uh, what it's talking about here is there was a group of kids that started playing together. A core of them uh, started playing together when they were in Tyke. Uh, some house league uh, rookie uh, Tyke ball, they said. And they played all the way through, uh, up through Midget, and probably kept playing until Juvenile. And some of them played a little bit of Junior. There's a little resurgence of Junior baseball in the area at the time. And uh, the coach there, uh, Al Steinoff, there's quite a few co quotes, and he was saying that, uh, yeah, there was a core of players. He said a lot of good players came and went, but uh, there was a core of players that uh, parents were dedicated, they were dedicated, and uh, they just kept winning. And I was kind of surprised they kept the record of this group going through from uh, their young ages through. And uh, he said what was an interesting oddity, too, was uh, the team has somewhat of an odd characteristic in that its entire pitching staff is left-handed. Hmm. Stefan Lawanow, uh, Mike Garcia, Terry Sawyer, and Todd Nichols are all southpaws. And uh, the catcher uh, catchers were Pete Dursum and uh, Chris Antonopoulos, who uh, he was a pretty good hockey player from Mount Forest, too. Uh, let's see here. Infield was Mike Benninger, Mark Steinoff uh, at second base, Kara Clark in studio with us, <laughs> shortstop. <laughs> uh, I think you were part of that core going through, that, that seven or nine kids going through. Davey Mauer on third base, and the outfield being Andy Blackburn, uh, Jeff Alexander, Dave Aslin, Rob Becker, and Greg Mighton. So yeah, a bunch of good hockey players thrown in there too. Very much so. Yeah. So I think Kara was. I think he knew I was doing this, but he didn't realize it was his I team. I didn't know it was. Yeah. Our our team he ambushed me, dude. The uh, it's Al Steinoff that begins and ends there. Al had pitched in the uh, Yankees system uh, earlier on, so he knew baseball inside out. And yeah, he had handpicked us coming out of, I guess, Tyke. I can't even remember T-ball. I, I was with him since T-ball, and uh, he had us doing, you know, time plays, doing crazy stuff at a very early age. And uh, just what an amazing experience! A lot of those guys are still friends today. But um, it, it was really just Al himself was, you know, the reason why there was that longevity. Just a fantastic guy, um, you know, teaching the game of baseball. But he was just you know how to carry yourself he yeah was, the value the technical part of baseball and you're right the the values the attitude and stuff yeah 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 here's a quote from him actually that's in this article that's, that speaks to that it's uh al Stanov says when they started years ago there was another main purpose they wanted to stress aside from the winning we wanted to teach them well enough that when they got older and sat down in front of the tv with their own kids they would be able to explain the game to them he says well they can do that now they're very knowledgeable yeah, so, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many uh, taxi cab drivers over the years, you know, that uh, kind of give me that whole story about, you know, kids today, you know, they give them a, <laughs> just a trophy for participation. And, and that's fine. I don't want to even get into that. But it's a lot of fun actually winning the trophy. <laughs> yeah, you when know? you actually so, heard it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I mean, uh, the focus of, of just having fun. I mean, we all want to have fun, but at the end of the day, you're competing for something yeah, as well. Competing yeah. at a pretty high level. And uh, we had gone, you know, all Ontario. We never won it, but uh, we went all Ontario numerous years. And, uh, and again, it was an amazing experience. And that does transfer. There's, you know, uh, organized sports, uh, team sports, it really does transfer later in life. You know? Moves into other things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you learn about teamwork and uh, just... Uh, 
life skills that that serve you in so many ways through your whole entire how, life how to compete yeah. yeah absolutely so when i was finding this in the archives of the hanover post today uh to put it in the broader context of what was going on in minor baseball in hanover at the time the midgets uh, were making good run at oba titles uh, that that particular year included the bantams made a run at an oba title uh the tykes made a run at an oba title and then I was playing Pee Wee that year, and it did actually mention an article where they said that um, they, they only had about eight kids that were out. They had 13 sign up, and only eight were coming out. So they actually folded the team that year. So that was kind of my angst, because I was a pretty good ball player at the time, like for minor baseball. Uh, not to blow my own horn, but I, I just did. But two, two. Every it's couple, a fact. It's a fact. Every couple of years, uh, I'd run into that where when I was on the younger end of the category, I'd, I'd play rep ball, and that was fine. But when I was at the senior end, they wouldn't have enough people for a team. So I remember a few occasions actually uh, with your team, when I was on my senior peewee, there was a few times we'd show up at away games and I was like the little brother, you know, yeah. tooting around and they'd be like, not enough people showed up. Yeah. So I'd be thrown into the lineup <laughs> play. with the midgets. I played at least two or three games. And I remember one of them, I showed up in like, you know, hush brown or what do they call those old shoes like the hush puppies hush puppies i wore a pair of hush puppies they're like well we we need another guy you so could I was, at least slide in those so i was carded with the team or whatever this like little kin peewee and, and uh, i'd like to say i was cranking the ball left and right and center but i actually did okay in the sense i remember being hit by a pitch i remember walking a lot because i was a bit shorter than a lot of the kids <laughs> uh and stole a few bases because I can we play glory days in the background? In the background, right? nice. <laughs> glory days, right. but yeah, yeah, I didn't crank too many. A few infield singles, but yeah, this got my two or three games in, and that was about it. But there you go, and, and good on you, Al Stanoff. He was a fantastic uh, coach, and his brother uh, Bill was the manager, and uh, he coached me at times too, and also a great Top coach. Shelf yeah. individuals, uh, a hockey coach as well. Just, just a great through. guy. Blessed to have that guy in in, in our lives. Yeah. And certainly um, doesn't hurt to do all the name dropping of names like you know Mike Garcia and Pete Dursum that are all still in this area. So there, there you go, Whiteman and Blue. Yeah, Otter. a fun look back, <laughs> I would have to say. I quite enjoyed that uh, little story. And uh, Kara, I know you were t telling me off air about uh, this app that's very interesting. That as a sports fan, it kind of maps your moods. Yeah, Tell us more about this. No, I was reading a fascinating uh, article. It's uh, there's a study done uh, in England at the University of Sussex. And uh, what uh, this app does is gauge your happiness. And uh, over the last three, four years, soccer fans, they've been, uh, it's just a scale. Uh, based on how their team does, uh, they map, you know, your happiness. And so uh, they're uh, showing preliminary results, and it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, what they've found is, uh, you know, the happiness of a win um, that's outweighed by you know how bad you feel on a loss by almost two times wow which is really remarkable and uh not only that just what you know what you feel it's how long you feel it if your team wins it's much shorter uh that feeling that euphoria versus you know losing that tends to stick with you much longer and uh you know for all of us that went through the ballard era leafs you know this certainly rings rings true but uh yeah, I just a uh, general sports fan, uh, a little bit of trivia there for you. Yeah. I wonder if that's just British or is that generalized or how, how would I, that apply to Canadian fans? I, I can't imagine that's just soccer, you yeah. know, but uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the concept of it, of course, is the, the fact that, uh, you know, we've all felt it playing sports that 
you do dwell on a loss longer unless you're one of the the, the people that are able to sort of compartmentalize that and, and just move on from it. But a lot of people really struggle with, you know, difficult losses in particular where, you know, it, it stays with you much longer than you'd like it to. And I mean, I think in junior hockey and the connection I have with the Guelph Storm, you know, I've seen that with players that, uh, you know, they get into a funk because they're so upset about a, a loss. And, and, you know, whereas you win and, you know, you kind of go on with the next one with a good feeling, but it maybe doesn't stick with you as quite as long. Well, this is fans. So, you know, yeah, certainly I'm, players, mm-hmm. you know. It could be the same with players. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. To, to bring it around, though, to sports, and you can look at the statistics for different things, but say baseball, you know, the most lights out baseball hitter this year is going to hit 333. That means he's hitting, you know, one third. A lot uh, of failure. Failing, failing that's a lot of failure. So you got to yeah. be able to get over that's, you know, that's 66% failure you got to get used to dealing with to be the best hitter in baseball, you know, if you're hitting only 200, right? That. That's yeah, eight, any of those elite, you know, regardless of the sport, they have a really short memory. They move on. They move on. We should uh, sneak in the Twitter poll there. Adam, if you could uh, fire that up for us. Uh, we have two minutes out here. So uh, this week's... T- oh, and by the way, if you want to catch our, our next Twitter poll, uh, you can find us. Uh, it'll be at, at Gray County Guy on Twitter is where we'll be posting them for the show right now. And uh, Adam, what do we got for the Twitter poll? I just want to first mention that I'd probably be hitting one-tenth of the time if I'm lucky. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what do we got for the Twitter poll here? Well, we had a question of, poll for baseball talk, which of these Blue Jays would you most likely like to see traded? And we had uh, Russell Martin, J.A. Happ, Roberto Osuna, and Justin Smoke. And the Twitter poll comes in at... 41% 41% for Osuna, 36% for J.A. Happ, 23 for Martin, and 0 for Justin Smoke. So take it as you will, but I'm not too surprised that people want to see Osuna moved out with the drama he's been causing recently. Yeah, and Justin Smoke, obviously, his value for the money and still producing. Uh, J.A. Happ, I think people like him, but they're just thinking they might actually get some return for him. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of heartened by the fact that Osuna led this poll because... Uh, you know, I thought sports fans might condone, you know, like if he's a great player and we don't really know the whole situation, but they're putting their foot down and saying, you know what, we're not going to condone, um, you know, physical violence against a spouse or a partner. And uh, they're saying that, uh, that, you know, regardless, he's a good player. He has to go. I li- I'm really heartened by that. Uh, so that brings us to the top of our show here. Thanks for spending a nice uh, summer evening with us on Baseball Talk. We'll catch you next time. Baseball Talk is brought to you by Joy for Sports, 435 Durham Street East in Walkerton, for all your sports needs. So